This is the one with a chubby chaser. The Rotmeister. Wet mouth sounds. Pizza Boost Telly. And nothing up top. It's called The Lodger. Here we go. We're still on our endless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Slovene and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Uden, wow. Tenant Smith and Eccleston. And Capaldi, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Hello, ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, and welcome to episode N071 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. That's right! Or Doc Bart. Or the other thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the evil twin of the podcast. <laughs> like the, the inversion with the goatee. Oh, I was just about to say, from the, the evil Star Trek universe. Have you been doing this all along because you have a goatee? Is that what this is about? What are you talking about? I are you my goatee. evil twin? Yes, you do. Oh. He's lying to you, podcast. <laughs> the first sign of an evil twin. <laughs> Aren't we here to record something about some show? Yes. But first, let's introduce ourselves to dear podcast land. You are Drew, are you not? I am the very Drew. Fantastic. Just making sure. Speak. Ladies and gents, that is Drew. That's what he sounds like. And I am Ponkin. Yes, a- he is. And uh, <laughs> Yes, I am. And uh, sadly, no Marie this time. She couldn't make it. Scheduling reasons, we think. Yeah. <laughs> She's probably off celebrating Chinese New Year with real Chinese people instead of just grabbing their food and pretending we did as good a job. Which is what we're doing. Uh, happy Chinese New Year, by the way. Year of the dog. Yes. Today. To all Chinese everywhere and dogs and non-Chinese and indeed non-dogs. <laughs> we're a very inclusive podcast. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna speed through this presumably because we're waiting for Chinese food. To yeah, be we're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so let's jump into this episode. We are talking about N zero seventy one, the lodger, the lodger, which is it roughly about this. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bicycle of who. Hapless every schlub, Craig, just some bloke, is hopelessly flirting with the least perceptive woman of his dreams, the ever-lovely Sophie, and looking for a flatmate when, lo and behold, the dork arrives on his doorstep. A localised temporal disturbance in the flat above Craig's has thrown the TARDIS into an episode of Number Wang, and Amy's in danger of being trapped within the vortex forever with no one to be perpetually snide to but her own reflection. B-Scout over, you are welcome! Aren't you just? (laughs) (laughs) Where do you want to start? Well, I want to start with opening my my notes. I'm back to making notes. Oh, where are my copious notes? I think we need to start with the guest star. Oh, okay. Who has since made an enormous name for himself. Oh my goodness, he has his own talk show and everything. Yeah. We're talking, of course, of... James Corden. Bingo bongo. Splashed across America's eyeballs, earballs, anywhere you got balls, James Corden is grabbing a hold of him. He has his own late show. We don't have to tell the world who he is. Everyone knows who he is. He has a late show and he sings with celebrities in a car or something. I've never seen it. Yeah, he's the biggest Apple hit since us, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like him? Did you already have a preconceived opinion of James Corden? Well, I should say that this was the first episode of this series that I actually saw back in the day. Oh, okay. And do you know what? I freaking loved it then, <laughs> and I freaking love it now. You know what? I freaking love it too. Oh, oh, God. Oh, my goodness. oh brilliant. 
<laughs> I thought I was going to be, you know, confessing a, a, a terrible <laughs> secret to you, but no. No, no. We're, we're brothers in sin, apparently. So you love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Episode over! <laughs> Let's eat! <laughs> but did you... I mean, since then, since you saw it that first time, James Corden has exploded. And he's a little Marmite, right? Like, he's very polarizing. People either love him or hate him. Well, Abby hates him. Exactly. <laughs> I haven't... You know, he's said some controversial things. Oh, really? I mean, at, at this point, with the media saturation, most people have said some controversial things. That is not me to deny the seriousness of the controversial things he's said. I'm just saying he's not alone in having said controversial things. No. It's not even that controversial a thing to say that someone said controversial things. Of course he has. He's in the public eye. Uh, one would assume so. I have no idea I, 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 what this thing is of which you speak. But that's I wish we... I was speaking with more knowledge. <laughs> but Maybe that's I should not... have looked this up for this episode. <laughs> I want to say about him he is phenomenal in this episode. Yes, he recorded this in a simpler, more innocent time. Yes, exactly. He is phenomenal in he this episode. He is. He's really charming. He has fantastic uh, screen presence. It takes a while to warm to him, I feel, in this episode. Yeah. But when you get going, holy smokes, you just want more of him. And he does return, right? Yes, he does. He does. As does Sophie, I believe. But the, when, oh, that scene when they're knocking heads, when they're, you know, they're bumping Gallifrey knowledge from one skull to the other. Yeah. That's when he really comes into his own. Admittedly, that's towards the end of the episode. But wow, he plays off Smith so well. Yeah, I reckon that Gareth Roberts, the writer of this episode, yes, I, I imagine he only wrote the one and it was received so well or they had so much fun doing it that they brought him back for an unplanned sequel. Like, that's my guess. Oh, really? I'm going to look this up. Well, I mean, how many sorts of guests of the week come back again? Oh, that's, that's a very good point. No, because, that's a super good Because point. this guy is nothing close to a companion. He's not a Captain Jack. He's not, you know, a, a blue guy. What's the blue guy's name? The big fat blue guy. Oh, I know, I'm trying to... Uh, Moldovar? Yeah, Darian Moldovar. That's the guy. Yeah, he's not one Who of shows them. up in the next episode, I believe? Oh, really? I think so. How topical. Can I just say, Gareth Roberts has written seven episodes of Doctor Who. One of them is The Caretaker. That's true. In reverse chronological order, The Magician's Apprentice, The Caretaker, Closing Time, The Lodger. That means there are three more and we've encountered him already. Shakespeare Code? Shakespeare Code. Yes! Unicorn and the Wasp, Planet of the Dead. Your favourite. Planet of the Dead, which was... Oh, the, after the Forest of the Library. No, isn't Planet of the Dead uh, with uh, Lady... Cut this so I sound clever. La- lady uh, something the fuckface. Oh, no! no. Oh, Isn't that Gary. Planet of the Dead? Oh, Gary! Surely that's what Planet of the Dead is. I'm double-checking. Yes, it is. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> you were doing so well. Well, the- well, every, everybody slips. You know, it, as we've exactly. already talked about with James Corden, although he did also voice, you know, the, the fucking round face in the Emoji movie. So, oh, or was he? he the hand, actually? Maybe he did the hand job. You know what? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well done, James Corden, because that is, that's like, that's like participating in an Adam Sandler movie. That's just taking part in that money-making scam, you know, the emoji movie. Yeah, I speak from a place of jealousy. I mean, I'm all about the voices. (laughs) I was, you were asking about what did I feel about James Corden. I hadn't seen Gavin and Stacey, which is what he was known for at this point. Oh, really? Pretty much only that, as far as I was aware. He did some, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. But he had been in a bunch of other stuff. Okay. The first thing... Well, the first thing he was in was Out of Tune, which was a CBBC song, uh, song show about a choir, which was hilarious fun. 
Ah. I want to draw your attention to Boys Unlimited, 1999 to present, IMDb optimistically says, as if they'll ever add to those six episodes, created by Matt Lucas, David Williams, and Richard Osman. What? Yeah. Are you serious? And it's worth going onto IMDb and seeing the uh, the promo shot of this <laughs> podcast land. He what? is... Uh, He's unconvincing as as a cool member of a boy band. Wait, hang on. What's it called? Boys Unlimited. Boys with Z, I should emphasize. Uh, but, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect no less. I've got... Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Are oh. you not entertained? I am entertained. Good, good. That That's what I'm for. absolutely dreadful. <laughs> wow. And that was, the, that was the combined brains trust behind Little Britain and Richard Osman, the cleverest man on television. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I'm... Not sorry, I've not seen that. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I was going to make was, among all the other points that I just skipped merrily between, he has done a lot of voice work. Well, I if bet you, he has. If, if you look up his 59 acting credits on IMDb, there's voice in, what was that, Fable 2, a video game, The Gruffalo, he was the mouse, and then from there, loads of animation. And so I speak from a... I'm a from a place of utter envy when i'm like james corden how are you the voice in everything what is so attractive about his voice he can sing but but otherwise well that's sort of it isn't it he's just a sort of high-pitched every twat yeah but voice work again it would not again also i i I too am very jealous in this case but because we do nothing but voice work it seems to me maintain a website it seems to me backwind.com (laughs) <laughs> Please do. It seems to me that doing voice work in Hollywood is something that almost anyone could do. And the only reason why you get the... I'm not trying to... Maybe we have some voice actors in the audience, and, and I'm sure they're, they, they are probably better at it than someone who is completely untrained, right? But let's say they are not super celebrities like Mr. Corden. I have no doubt that they could do just as good a job as Mr. Corden, but Mr. Corden gets the job because he is a celebrity. Yeah, and, and because that's casting why he... agents are fucking lazy. Well, no, I think it just... No? It, no, I think... They the... don't just go on IMDb and be like, he's done a lot of voices, he can do one more. Job no. done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Bahamas. No, I don't think so. I think it's because audiences are fucking lazy. I think audiences, oh. uh, they want to go and see the latest animated, uh, whatever, Disney movie or whatever. The animated desecration of a beloved intellectual property. Because George Clooney is on... His name is on the poster or whatever. Who Corden is on the poster. His name is on the poster. But You, you really know, think James Corden's name brings people in to see an animated film. I suppose it's not impossible. I I reckon a few people, sure, yeah, definitely. He's got a huge audience, right, with his talk show? Oh, I suppose. Welcome to episode N071, James Corden. Yes, brought to you by (laughs) James Corden. (laughs) Oh, what are you drinking there, Drew? Oh, some James Cordial. (laughs) (laughs) But Jing. (laughs) Nice. Right, shall we talk about this episode? Well, that's, yes, we are indirectly <laughs> talking about this episode. Who came to be in it? I think we've covered James Corden now, in opprobrium and praise. Question for you. Go on, then. As you said, who's in it? Do you think this was sort of a Karen Gillan goes on holiday episode? Well, I don't know. I mean, they cut back to her a fair few times, although yeah. I could see her recording that within five minutes. Yeah. She only really has one she register spent, throughout the episode. She spent one day in the studio. Yeah, being a bit gobby and a bit wide-eyed and a bit fiery, and and that was it. Oh, and she had to pick up the ring at the end. There's the end scene. Oh, yeah, well, you have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be lovely. I think it probably was a little bit of a Karen Gillan goes on holiday episode. However, this was not originally intended for Matt Smith and Karen Gillan. 
Oh, oh, is, is this trivia? This is trivia. <gasps> it was originally intended for Matt Smith, Rose, and Mickey Ricky. Beg pardon? Yeah, I had a look on IMDb. And this was originally based on a comic strip from Doctor Who magazine, which featured Tennant and, and Rose and uh, Mickey Ricky. Well, Mickey Smith. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And you know how we've already talked about this on the show. There was a time during which it wasn't entirely certain whether this was going to be Matt Smith's first season or like the next Doctor's first season, or if Tennant was indeed going to stay on for one more season after the middle years of Planet of the Shit. And the, the specials, yeah. The, the, story the, the shit of Mars and the... Actually, that wasn't... And nice the planet of the shit. Yes. Exactly. The yeah. story production line just kept cranking around, but there was no doctor to catch the, the it, precious cargo at the end. Exactly. And so this very easily could have still featured David Tennant. But then it was, it was rewritten. It was um, re-envisioned hmm. for a different cast. I mean, the question then is, and since you looked into this with such forensic, journalistic, investigative skills. I searched IMDb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did Gareth Roberts have anything to do with the original comic strip? Or? I don't think so. Oh, wow. I don't think so, but he based his first script on that comic strip. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, what I, that's what I can tell you. It's a good bit of trivia. Yeah. Well, thank Speaking you. of the script. Oh, let's hear it. It's a heck of a script, isn't it? It is a good script. I mean, so much funny comedic interplay yes. between... Everyone in this episode. It's quite different from the... It, it sort of... In the, in the comedy department, it really takes advantage of Matt Smith's flamboyance. His just, oh my goodness, I'm such an alien. Yeah. I mean, it, it does overplay that slightly when it's like, which century is this? I think you can tell. <laughs> I mean... You're, you are an expert at this point, yeah, he Doctor. Can, yeah. He can recognise an alien that he's only ever seen in the databank from the other side of a star system, yeah. but he can't tell by the architecture that this is the early 2000s. Not just that, he's spent a fair amount of time in this time, or in this time period already. He's gone to a, whatever it was, a card shop or something. Oh, goodness, he's here every week. Or the week. post office or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the cars have number plates, you fool. Not just that. The very first line of the episode is, I think I see a Ryman's. Yeah. Yeah, for our friends overseas. I don't know if Ryman's exist overseas, but it's... Ah, ah but the thing is that the Ryman job. Corporation... Yeah is one of the great pioneers of intergalactic exploration in the 33rd century. Uh, also, also, they did exist in the 17th century on Earth. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. yes, that was pivotal in the transition from quills to fountain pens. Do you think that's the paper shop where he sees the note? Maybe, is, that's, is it the paper maybe that's the paper shop where he bought the psychic paper from originally. Holy smokes. So he's, he's just... <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Ryman's. Ryman's. <laughs> So, yeah, okay, he does sometimes go a bit over the top with the kooky, weird dock out of water, but that was that was the only thing I objected to, really. Everything the, else was a delight. I, I agree. And even when it goes in, in absurdum, it is really fun. So the, there are two contraptions in this episode that stand out as, like... Is one called Heath and the other called Robinson? No. Oh, okay, carry on. <laughs> Not sure I get that. Isn't Heath Robinsoning exactly what you do when you create a ridiculously overcomplicated contraption? Oh. I thought you'd used the term before. I thought I was going to imp impress you by sucking up to you by using a thing you made. It's probably Nick who said Heath it. Heath Robinson. Go on, see if I got this wrong. It is Heath Robinson. Yes. Well done. Beauty, back of the net, topical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there are two machines anyway. There are two contraptions. One is in his room. And one is in the office. And I want to ask you about the one in the office. Okay. So what the fuck is it? What is it? Why is it there? 
is that somehow causing everyone to be impressed by his job? Is that what's going on? Because otherwise he's there just ruining Craig's career. But everyone is super impressed by him. I didn't actually see the contraption in the office. I only saw him wowing the people interpersonally and Sophie running off to get him custard creams. On his desk, there is a metal spatula rotating. <laughs> constantly <laughs> rotating. And, and I, didn't, it, I didn't put this together. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, by the way. But I, this, on my, upon my second viewing, I've now seen this twice this week, I finally put it together, assembled this one theory that actually... He is terrible at his job, or at Craig's job, which he is. Yeah. But this contraption is there brainwashing the entire office into believing that he is good at it. It is a mini perception filter. Possibly. I mean, he's there. He's like, oh, hello, Mr. Who, what's, what's your face? Uh, I'm sorry, can you hold? I need to eat a biscuit. And the boss is there just going, thumbs up. You are doing a heck of a job. I'll tell you what it is. He brought that spatula in because the only thing he knows how to do adrift in this indeterminate time is know how to make an omelette. He made an omelette in the office, brought it to that spatula meeting. Spatula meeting? Well, that's what it became. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then he thought, you know, you know what's really impressive? It spins. And they were like, oh, oh. that's your secret. Oh, there we go. What's the secret to your great omelette, doctor? It spins. <laughs> And they just stared at it for the rest of the day. <laughs> he is so rude on the phone to those people. He really is. And they're probably not affected by this gadget, I'm assuming. Right? Well, maybe... maybe. I at mean, some point, the spatula is going to stop... He's going to take out the spatula. Craig's going to return to work. And he will have lost every account. Yeah. Where do you want to go from here? Lead on, Macduff. Van Gogh on the fridge. Oh, I didn't notice that. Uh, there's a fridge fridge magnet, possibly, or I can't remember if it's a fridge magnet or if it's a whatever, a postcard or something. But it, it's... It's fridge adjacent. It, there's, it says Van Gogh, and it has possibly a reference to an exhibit or a museum. I can't remember. Oh, so James Corden could have visited yeah. that very exhibit. Yeah. Oh, why wasn't he milling around behind Bill Nye last week? Maybe he was. Maybe he was. No, because Maybe. that's in... Oh, Wait! We don't know when this takes place. Maybe this takes place before Vincent and the Doctor, and this episode ends with him going, yeah, I can see myself going to Paris. Yeah, So exactly. maybe he'll be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go there. And everything in Doctor Who is connected and related in some way. The TARDIS, of course, you know, following the various threads through space and time. Yeah. There's a thread. Okay, let's talk TARDIS. Yeah. In a prior episode, we discussed... That it doesn't matter if the Doc, like, quote-unquote, it doesn't matter if the Doc loses a companion. But if he loses the TARDIS, then he is bond. Yes. He'd better find another bag of money. Totes, malodes. Yeah, exactly. And not be so cavalier about it. Is this a lot or not? I don't know. Isn't inflation funny? <laughs> so many inflation jokes. It's the, it's the only thing you can really do with time and a society that survives over a span of it. It's like, money changes value. <laughs> <laughs> He must have a vague idea that it is a lot of money, though. Well, I mean, banknotes have, you know... No intrinsic a... value. There's, it's all fictional. It's all make-believe. But he... Yeah, but, but they also have a year on the back. The year of their issue. Yeah, but... So that's another clue as to when you are, you idiot. Well, he clearly knows when he is. He's just being a bit of a prick. But He's just trying to give the game away really obviously to this complete random stranger who he needs to take in him in under his roof that actually is something really weird about him. He's a time traveler and he should run as far away from this guy as he possibly can. You know what? I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. It's super charming. I no, don't fine. mind. It's fine. I'm just picking 
holes as the devil's advocate in oh, this episode no. because I also loved it. Please and, do. And I don't want people to think that I just sit here wanking off James Gordon in my mind all day and all night. <laughs> well, we do now. <laughs> well, I, for the next hour, at least. <laughs> he was a little bit of a dick. Not, not Gordon. Uh, the doctor. He was yeah. a little bit of a dick when he presented the money because it was like a... Not just making fun of the fact that, oh, you earthlings, you still use weird currency to determine the value of goods and services, but also, this is more money than you were expecting here. Let me wow you with all this currency. In brackets, you're poor, James Corden is basically what he's saying. But yeah, if- I can tell from the state of your skin, the products you buy for yourself, that clearly you have they very little... They are not top of the line. Yes, very little disposable income. Here, get get an exfoliator. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I wanted to say, though. I wanted right, to say right. he is now without his TARDIS, and it seems a little bit like actually that's not that big a problem like it's it, it's almost like he i mean he can call the tardis wherever it is yeah. it's sort of mid materialization it's not in this time wherever it is yeah, or he whenever can, it is he can keep amy company as she spins endlessly through the void until one day in the future distant future her death that's really that's really comforting actually it is comforting but it also means un- uh, unless she goes into the vortex that seems to be the only catch Oh, it's like the Inception Abyss or something. Like, well, once you're in there, you're fucked. I took it to be she's going into the vortex, and because she's not going anywhere in particular, she will remain in the vortex forever. She will not materialize anywhere. But because she's not in this time, that means she is in some other time or in between times, which we've also had on Doctor Who. So my point is basically, even if he loses his TARDIS, he's not Bond. Because he can always just hail it, right? Oh, with his electronic car keys or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Just just get away from the time engine in the non-existent second story. Oh, maybe. No. Th- th- Do you I, not think so? I'm going to buy that there is some real peril here and that from the the far reaches of the vortex, you know, it's out of range. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think you can communicate across a vast distance, but you can't necessarily retrieve. Okay, that's a pretty good retcon. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. Because <laughs> I liked in this episode the way it quite effortlessly just sort of said, here are some rules about the Doctor Who universe you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And this is a really good hook around which to build some peril and an episode. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, and... Oh, but... The way they labour to create peril some weeks, it just seemed, well, far superior. But... But... but I do agree with you, with the exception of the peril that is introduced... At the very end. Right. Did the whole solar system really need to be in peril? In fact, that, that's verbatim from my notes. Could I, it, couldn't it just have been the ship and everyone in it? Why did it have to be, oh, if I, if I touch this thing, the entire solar system will explode? Well, do you know what? I was thinking, and I was going to say this at another point, but I think it's just about apropos here, that having watched a large part of this episode, I thought, and you have asked in the past... What episode would you bring someone into Doctor Who via? You would show a complete newbie to Doctor Who as their first episode. I was thinking that this episode really would be a, a great candidate. It's not too heavy on the sci-fi. There's some tiny wimey wibble wobble. There is some sci-fi. The Doctor's funny. There's good atmosphere. There's loads going for it. Lots of zingers. That's interesting. The, the, I, okay, I like it. This is a, uh, Okay, yes. And we can pick up on but, this maybe later, but... At the point where he says, if I touch this, the whole solar system's fucked, that's when you have to be au fait with that being exactly the thing that happens 
when when the doctor is, is gonna, in any way involved yeah or or a, or a starship's engine you know a starship's engine will always take a solar system out we don't know why we've just heard it often enough that we take it for granted whereas a first time viewer would be like what the fuck is that for Okay, because hmm. like, it has come up before. I do feel like this episode. It, this don't don't get me wrong. This episode has a lot going for it. Being as a candidate, you know the the introductory episode. It has a celebrity uh, sidekick in James Corden. Mm-hmm. It has the doc being incredibly doctory, mm-hmm. and also a lot of his self aware humor is clues to who he is and his backstory. It is a very good in that sort of introductory sense. But we don't really... Oh, you've always got a but. Thanks. So you've always got a doc past or a but. Just ready. <laughs> just like just behind your lips. But I do feel like when you're introducing someone... I, basically, I feel like this is not representative of the show as, whole, as a whole. This is representative of the Doctor as a character, but not of what Doctor Who as a show is. Yeah, but people will introduce people to Doctor Who via Blink. Doctor's barely in it. That's, that's also a very good point. And that's all about atmosphere. And maybe that's why I thought this similarly would be a good sort of... Some aspects you can get up to speed with later. If you just see a formulaic doctor and companion go here and they do this and it plays on so many tropes from before. This is where the show is a bit more original when it takes out some of the otherwise necessary elements and gives the others room to breathe. I feel like that's, that's a little bit of false advertising though, isn't it? Well, isn't we need to do a bonus episode. You will love smoking. This hit that you get with this first one, that will remain with you for 30 years. It's not about trying to recreate that first hit, which you never can actually do. Okay, so what you're saying is not. Okay, you know what? As an ex smoker, here's what I'm going to say. It would be like, here, try a hooker. Oh, okay. I'm with you now. Not a hooker, a hooker. And it's, um, you know, it's fruit flavored and it's really, it's atmospheric and it takes a long time to finish this thing. And it's, it's a sociable event, et cetera, et cetera. Now never have that again, only have cigarettes. Yeah. And stand out the back of your office building on a cold December because your body compels you to. Exactly. In the wind and the rain and the gusts. Oh dear. But it's worth it, isn't it? Because you need it and you crave it, and there's no reason why, really. But who cares? Oh, I really want a cigarette. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Let's move on. There's a bag of Haribo over there. Uh, oh, that's shit, true. it's empty. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. What is the stain in the ceiling? On the ceiling? Seepage. But it disappears. Yeah, it deceives, doesn't it? Hmm. So it seems strange. They say at, at some point in the episode they're like oh yeah so they're burning the the bodies they're just burning up up there yeah, that's why there's a stain toasted. that's why there's a stain but then touching it is poisonous and then weirdly the stain retracts into nothingness when the spaceship is gone that is weird and what is also weird is that the spaceship is clearly perched above the angled roof so where's the flat floor well i mean you can have a flat floor under an arched roof you know, with a ceiling. I mean, you've yeah, but they're inside lived in a house. Yeah, yeah, but they're inside. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a house right now. Yeah, but, but but they but they are inside the spaceship, right? I see. But the spaceship has legs, so it is planted on both sides of the roof. So the spaceship can have a flat floor. I don't Here's exactly I, figure out how they get wait, in on, the what's, spaceship. Wait, what's your stairs. question? I my question is: if there is a functioning roof there, why isn't the human 
uh, stain just dribbling down into the gutters. You, you need to get that roof fixed. Wait, here's another question. How are people walking through the actual roof of the house into the spaceship? Ah, well, in that case, the spaceship, you know, lowered its gangway. Um, so when made, it disappears, why did it did it first brick and mortar just repair the roof and then disappear? Okay, there are yes, there are tricks here that can't be achieved by mere perception filter. Exactly. Yes. Ah, you got me there, Gareth Roberts. We're on to you. Okay. <laughs> but we only thought about that when we we came here to be in real dickhead ruin it for everyone that's though. true because we, we still it love this episode. episode still, oh, I love it. still loving it still loving it not changing my mind about that okay question for you what's up with the drunken girl yeah she is in a state she she looks like she's had a one too many glasses of punch at a frat orgy she looks in a bad way and she's crying isn't she maybe oh, what, she's a mascara a... smudged or something yeah she looks deeply unhappy she does she she sort of turns around in the in the sort of way that someone who's just been through a, a terrible trauma, trauma yes yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, the sort of haggard hollow-eyed i may never psychologically recover from this as long as i live or sober up you know until i sober up way yeah it, that that is a bit overdone isn't it it is it is a little bit i, I wonder if that's deliberate I wonder if it's like, well, you know what? There are people walking around on the street being, you know, having been traumatized all the time. And we don't notice them because they get gobbled up by alien spaceships. Hmm, that's a good thought. Or because people are just too busy. Yeah, yeah, because they've got somewhere to be. Yeah. Because they've got a Chinese New Year party to go to. There is that. Yeah, and these people on the street, they haven't got an invite, but, well, <laughs> that's their lookout. <laughs> yeah. No. Did you know from the very beginning what the... Thing upstairs the person upstairs was doing despite having seen this way back when i had no clue what was going to eventually happen yeah i'd forgotten as well i think i don't think i really remember anything from this long ago did you have any theories no i when the doctor said it's really big and really scary i i didn't know if it was connected to the pandorica next week and it was a lead-in or anything about it uh-huh I had a theory, and it, I'm glad that I was wrong because my theory was a little underwhelming. I, I thought that there, I, I had completely forgotten what it was, and I thought that that being was just put, pretending to be human, but was effective. What was it? Still a fairly accurate representation of the the persona, and because the the holographic image of the pilot software or whatever kept becoming younger and younger. It was an old man, then it was a uh, a young man, then it was a young girl. Who was it a young man for? Was it a young man for Trauma Woman? I can't remember. Because for Trauma maybe, Woman, yeah. I thought maybe they should have had, you know, a barman say, free drinks, happy hour, and she could have come in and got one of them, or... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a shrink, uh, I, can, I can help you out. Yes, yeah, yes, I, I can way, fix I... all your deepest problems. Yeah. Well, in any event, I I thought that this creature was siphoning life energy to sort of rejuvenate itself, and yeah. that therefore it was choosing a younger and younger avatar to oh. represent itself. I ended up being wrong, and I'm quite glad that I was wrong because the whole I'm sucking life energy to for you know eternal youth that trope's been done a lot. Yeah, since Cassandra Delta Seventeen, I suppose. But. Oh yeah, also. <laughs> okay. Still, I think it's a it's a cool way of going about it. Eh. It would just have been a fairly underwhelming payoff. I guess so. So you're getting closer to writing a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> <laughs> you're 30 minutes in. you just got to nail that third act. Okay. Who is the lovely Soph? 
What, the actress who plays her? Yes. No idea. Who is she? She has been in, and this is, this is me going on memory. She has been in episodes as the sort of network representative who just Ooh. sort of walks around going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> that was great. Just, that, that sounds fantastic. She just, <laughs> she barely says anything, but anything said to her, she just reacts with such contempt and disdain and she communicates so brutally through her face. It is, it is a, it is a marvellous thing. You're right. She was in episodes. I'm, I'm, I've just looked her up on IMDb. What's her name? Daisy Haggard. And she was in Sense and Sensibility as Miss Steele. She was in Harry Potter and the something, something of something, something, and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Okay. Um, as Ministry Lift. Ministry Lift? Ministry Lift? Ministry what, she is, Lift. She's the voice of a lift in the Ministry of Magic. Could that be it? I don't know. I feel like that would say a magic voice lift. in brackets. Ooh, la la. Harry mm. Potter, where will you go next with your flights of imaginative fancy? Mm. Well, she's done a... A lot of stuff. I also know her from Man Stroke Woman, which was a sketch show that she was in with Nick Frost and a whole bunch of other people. And also Kevin the main Elton. concept of like nine out of ten of my dreams. Yeah. And she was great in that as well. And wherever she turns up, I'm happy because she is a solid performer. Oh, she was also in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Again, lift. In brackets, voice. There we go. There you go. Bingo bongo. Oh dear. I just deconstructed the... J.K. Rowling, Wizarding, Magic, 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 Magic universe with, you know, terrible perceptive clarity. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, and... Got no filters on me. Just one more IMDb uh, credits. Make it a good one. Uh, she was in one episode of Casanova. Oh, with D10. It must have been, right? Isn't that the Casanova TV series? Hang on, I'm looking it up. Yes, it is. <laughs> David Tennant. Peter O'Toole, oh my goodness. I want to see the show now. Was Peter O'Toole like Casanova Senior, like teaching David Tennant all, oh, yeah, all he, his Lucius tricks? Uh, he's, it's basically the beginning of that Zorro reboot with um, Antonio Banderas. Yes. When, when he meets uh, Anthony Hopkins, he's like, I am Antonio Banderas. I am Antonio Hopkins. Here, I used to be Zorro, bingo bongo, this is how you do it. <laughs> Five minutes later, I can fence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I draw Zeds on you, on your clothes for love. Why Why you always draw Zeds? Antonio, why you always draw Zeds? They make people sleepy. <laughs> How did we get into this? <laughs> I blame Antonio Banderas. It's Zed for Catherine Zeta-Jones. She is in this film, you know. Ah, uh, yes. It is <laughs> Alphabet Association. <laughs> <laughs> so, Merle Haggard or whatever her name was. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, right. Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that she does almost as well as James Corden. She doesn't have the... Even then, she's... She's never really had the name. She's always been part of an ensemble rather than carrying a show by itself. But I think yeah. she also does a really good job. She does. A, everyone does a fantastic job in this one. Everyone. And I mean, okay, I say everyone. There aren't that many characters, but everything works. And even the minor characters work. I love that tiny little scene in the office with his boss. I love everything about this episode. Yeah. Mostly anything. Mostly everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and their interactions, their pizza booze telly. That yeah. is, it's such a believable sort of attribute of an individual friendship. Yeah. It, it really does... You, you don't need to... It's a really just concise, succinct piece of writing and establishing the mood and the scene and these people, people uh, relationship I, to each other. I bet that's a phrase that someone associated with this episode actually used. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it could be, I don't know if that was in the original script or if it's something that Corden or maybe um, Haggard introduced, like just improved. But I, either way, I, 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 it feels, as you say, it feels so genuine. It feels like something that two friends who have been friends for a long time, they will have these little phrases. Yeah, it's a great tribute to whoever introduced that into this episode that you say that it has to be that real, that it had to have happened in reality yeah. for them to take it. If Gareth Roberts wrote this, bravo, Gareth Roberts. Yeah, well done. Because it does the job so well, and we've seen it done so badly so many times that just to see it just nailed, it's beautiful. That it, and, and also, just to add, it's... Uh, Yes, it is believable, but it is believable, but... But? But. but. Oh, I'm really sorry, man. I'm really sorry. You're nothing but buts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But... It is... Sorry, Cindy's reference. (laughs) It's believable within the... Like, in the context, in the rather unbelievable context of this episode, this couple, as we said... Partly said in the intro to this episode, and as we said before we press record, they are the least perceptive pair ever yes surely they would know like they would know what's going on the the fact that and this is neither one of them has realized that the other one is in love with them as they are with with the other it's that is unbelievable and this is the point at which i said to you perception filter bingo (laughs) do you think that when it comes to the perception filters it's just the alien spaceship on the top of the house or is everyone just made a bit dimmer than usual no it might be that who knows maybe maybe it is that although if that I, were I, the case then when they were out at the football game they'd suddenly be like actually i love you i, I don't care about football i just want to run away with you right now and they would do that and then they get back to the house and they'd be like why do we leave the football game again fucking hell you got the second half to play <laughs> Get back there, you idiot. So maybe what, did you, not. what did you think of the football scene? I thought it was fine. I thought the doctor was playing a little stupid again when he was like, is this the one with the sticks? Oh, I didn't mind that. I mean, he must mean hockey. Maybe. But, but, I mean, uh, he, Cricket? He, he knows everything. I, I suppose, you know, sports, leisure, jocks, trivia to this, perhaps the more Doctor Who demographic. I'm generalizing horribly here. Peter Davison's doc was a, a cricket aficionado i believe have you ever seen any peter davison episodes yes is this well like i in like i i only remember random fragments but is this matt smith's peter davison moment because matt smith is one that's of what the, i was thinking matt smith is one of the lads i definitely remember seeing davison playing even though in my mind i want to say tennis but it, it wasn't tennis i'm sure it was cricket that I, I do know a scene where he's just mastering the sport yeah. And he's just, like, it, it's uh, two minutes of him running back and forth and just being great at it. Yeah, just firing off beautiful textbook cover drives and, like, little flicks through mid-wicket and nerdles down to third man and, ah, oh, hitting the bowler back over his head for six. Ah, oh, Peter Davison, you star. One of us is more into cricket than the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess which one? <laughs> but, yeah, that definitely did spring to mind here. This guy, this doctor, Matt Smith, is... He's incredibly good at football, it turns out. Yeah, he scores at least nine goals. At least four of them with his head. <laughs> he does a lot of work with his head in this episode. He does. He, he must be sore after this shoot. He's a little bit of a dick on the playing field, though. Oh, he's a terrible ball hog. He's I, the absolute worst. Apparently, I, I don't know if this is true, but apparently Matt Smith was a semi-professional footballer. Yeah, was he? At one point. Well, and then he, he had an injury and he had to stop and become a 
super successful actor instead. I believe he carries that around with his social circle. Like his friends are all quite laddish, and he's he's just oh, one really? of the boys. Is and he he, he, I know he remains about that his, to this his day. Social circle. Yeah, I oh, think really? I think he grew up in some Midlands town, Leicester or Nottingham, somewhere Ugh, somewhere really? in the absolute you know middle. Okay, <laughs> and yeah. Well, I would say that if he was semi-professional, I did expect some slightly more acrobatic, impressive shots than just the ball thuds down onto his shin and he pokes it past the goalkeeper. I want to see shots into the the absolute top corner curling in, if he's that good. I don't know Maybe how he was good a defender. I, I don't know how good he is or was, but I mean, as a non-athlete myself, I was quite impressed. You are very good at table tennis. You're scary good at table tennis. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. We need to play again. Shall we play again sometimes? Uh, a little bit leery. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I need some practice Finally first. a quote-unquote sport that I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> well, quote-unquote sport. We saw that at the Olympics. I should say great. that I'm quote-unquote good at. It, oh, I see, I see. I should have said that. It doesn't involve running. Gentleman doesn't hurry. It's yeah. Unmanly. But he it, has to sway from side to side. That's true. Quite like that, but... <laughs> I have a question. Well, let's hear it. What is Doctor Who's absolute, endless, just unshakable obsession with Scotland and or Essex? There are oh. other places in the country. Oh. Like Leicester or Nottingham. I'm sure Matt Smith would have loved to go home for a week. How often does Doctor Who go to, as in as a show, go to Essex? Well... Maybe Donna's not from Essex. Maybe she's just from London. But I think Donna, maybe Catherine Tate's Don, from Essex. Donna is from Chiswick. Chiswick, okay. And Rose, she has the sort of... She company, might be from Essex. It just Rose seems, might be from Essex. Yeah, and now they are in Essex. It just seems that... New Wait, home, are they in Essex? They are in oh, Essex. Oh, yeah, because she Colchester. says so. She, yeah, exactly. You're right, you're right. She says so. And I just... There are a lot of other counties in England. Like, broaden your representation. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, I don't know. Is that why Jodie Whittaker's picking up three new companions? Because they'll be like from every the, corner of the world. Yeah, all <laughs> the three corners of the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, one could be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, my dad's from Devon and my mum's from wherever. No, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be Bradley Walsh. He's going to be from Essex. Okay. Yeah, the, I can see that. The woman is going to be from Scotland. And there's a black guy, right? Yeah. Hmm, where's he going to be from? I don't know. Manchester? London. You need London represented London. as well. Essex and London. Not from London. Yeah. Jody Essex, London, and from... Scotland. Those are the. And Wales. Those are the only four places that exist in Doctor Who Great Britain. There you go. Wales exists a heck of a lot. Yeah. For, under, for, for understandable reasons. Okay. Yeah. But, but, you know, there are a lot of places. I'm constantly surprised by just how many places there are in this country and how many people <laughs> live here and that sort of thing. <laughs> but Doctor Who. Despite sort of standing for Britain on the global stage, it does nothing to actually tell people, to tell, you know, to dispel the, apologies to any American fans, but, you know, the myth that is prevalent among large swathes of Americans. And we're ignorant about America, Americans, okay? We, we accept that it goes both ways. But Americans would be like, are you from London? Because they've only heard from London and Scotty from Star Trek. Well, not just Americans. I think anyone who's probably non-European. Yeah, it's the only sort of globally... The only signifier of Britain on a global yeah, level is yeah, London. Exactly. I, but but for that reason, I think... You know what it is? What? It's fucking James Corden and George Clooney in an animated movie. It's what you you know. It's what the, the audience will recognise. 
Oh, this person's from Barnstable. That means nothing to me. I'm from Middle America. I've never heard of Barnstable. I, I'm from... <sighs> Barnstable has a lot to offer, though. Doctor sure. Who should be about expanding our horizons. Yeah, but it's easier to sell it if you don't have to spend some time on that as well. Mm. And Oh, hang on. Knock, knock. Is this food? This is food! It's food! Okay, oh my goodness! We're doing a timeout and we will return. Yes, and we'll sound a lot fuller when we get back. <laughs> a lot slower, but a lot happier. Oh yeah. Oh yes. See you in a minute, Podcast Land. Ciao, ciao. We back on? We are back on. So I was going to wax lyrical about Barnstable's manifold delights. Yeah. So what exactly does Barnstable have to offer, Drew? Is it the one that's in Devon? It is, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. It's like, I feel like I've been there. I, I think I've... It's yet another place where I've caught a bus. a bus. Yes, I caught a bus in Barnstable going to Ilfracum. This episode writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, maybe we the can move on. The doctor goes to Ilfracum. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> By bus. <laughs> All right, let's jump into a completely different topic, shall we? I really liked some lines. I want to start throwing in some lines. I was just about to soundbite some stuff. Let's hear them. What do you where, want? Where the, the doctors tried to pass off Heath or Robinson as a, a modern art exhibit. And he says, oh, comment on modern society. Ain't modern society awful. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. It was, it was very snide about ugh, much of the modern art movement. Yes, which, it was. <laughs> yeah, and, and it does all boil down to that. Not all, but, you know, I, I, this is a line I liked. Go on, give me a line. I didn't read that much into that scene, to be honest. All right, here's a, here's another one. I didn't write down when this is. Hello, I'm Captain Troy Hansom of International Rescue. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I like how this episode took every opportunity to put a decent line in. Yeah, I agree. Like, where, where are you strongest? The arms. The arms. (laughs) (laughs) No, on the field. Uh, Near the sides. uh, Below. Below had me in stitches. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, not not a line. However, another audio reference. When he's in the shower, this is something that we have talked about before on Who Back When. When he's in the shower, he is singing La Donna Immobile, which the doctor has done before. Oh. Uh, Pertwee does it in his first ever episode, the Spearhead from Space? Yes, yes the Spearhead from Space. Yeah. That's cool. That's that's excellent. That's well a, I, I like that as a nice uh, George Lucas, it rhymes type thing. Oh, 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 oh. What did you think of scrambled English? I also liked that. I loved it. Yeah. It's so hilarious when he's listening through the wall. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is he saying? I, actually, you know what? Let's just sound by it. For anyone else hearing this conversation, we're talking absolute gibberish. Practical eruption in chicken. They got Lombardi spiral. Yeah, great. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Even on the second hearing. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? Sorry, I cut you off there. Well, no, I, I've now got sidetracked into something else, which was one problem I did have. Oh. Which was that the doctor has given Craig three grand or more, a bag full of cash. Yeah. Craig is rolling in loot he is he is well ahead the doctor has also saved his life with some tea yes there's some tea therapy he sleeps it all off he's fine he's entirely perfectly restored and yet the doctor then stands in for him at work gets in some more credit and after all these points he sees the doctor's made an art installation in his room and then he wants to throw him out. He saved but, his life. But that's not why he wants to throw him out. He wants to throw him out because of Sophie. Because 
he felt emasculated on the football field. Oh, and it, and yeah. then Sophie wants to go and meet some monkeys. It overrides everything else. This is not the place for logic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is just because, I mean the football field is part 1, but certainly the biggest problem is that she now the the doctor is personally responsible, solely responsible for opening for broadening her horizons and opening her up to the possibility of venturing out beyond Essex. Yeah, with the Jedi reverse psychology mind trick. Exactly. I really liked that scene as I well. I liked it as well. Because he was a bit of a dick in the beginning. Well, he seemed to be a bit of a dick in the beginning. And then he just yeah. winks it all back. Yeah, he just he just flashes her a side smile. And she's like, oh, no. Oh, did you see what he did? Oh, he did. Yes. Now I'm going to be friends with monkeys. And I'm never going to see you again. But I said it a couple of times in this episode already. Oftentimes, the writers will go for something like that. And it won't come off. And you'd be like, that that does not follow. That is not a valid inference. This is stupid. Stop writing to the dictates of the script. But that one, it just fits. Is this I, I can't think of a particular instance of this uh, of of uh, that kind of doctor behaviour that we've encountered before, but are you thinking of something tenanty? I'm not sure. I, I I just know that I have many times been like, Well, the character has to say that because that's the reaction that unlocks the next phase of the script whereas yeah. this one yes it did that but, but it also did so incredibly naturally that's it it's the naturalness yeah and the way the dialogue actually flows rather than it's hand waving and shoehorning and ham fisting but a phenomenal script and this was a phenomenal script it will only go that far it also needs to be conveyed well and it is these three people, these three actors, they do a tremendous job. They have fantastic chemistry on screen and they do it so believably in, in a way that we don't know. I was listening to our uh, Vampires of Venice review quite recently and it, it found myself reliving, like revisiting those scenes in my head that we watched and just thought like, oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't buy for a second what anyone says in this episode. Like no one is believable. Guido isn't believable, the vampires aren't believable, and so on and so forth. But here, everyone is. I get that that's, oh, well, it, it's so plain to say that, oh, you, they're actors and they're doing a really good job acting. Well, yeah, that's a valid point, I feel, because most actors aren't doing a good job. Yeah, or they're doing the best job they can with a subpar script. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And here you have both working to the audience's advantage. Yeah, and often you will have an actor, they are doing exactly the reaction and the visuals and the face and, and it the reactions that's required. Maybe it's good directing. I don't know what this director has done before or after. Yeah, but I'm saying you can have a really good actor, but if they do, sometimes they can do too good an acting job for the script. Yeah. They actually show the script up. You're like, well, no, I, I can see that this person wouldn't act in that way, but say that thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, who's this director? The director is Catherine Mooreshead. Or possibly more shed. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, hang on. Oh, two episodes of Doctor Who. The Lodger and Amy's Choice. Right. So we've already had that in the series. Yeah. And a good one. Yeah, fairly good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say Catherine Morshead or Morshed. Probably a good director. <laughs> probably yeah. a very good director, in fact. Yeah. What, has she gone on to do anything else? Uh, tons, but no Doctor Who. Okay. You got anything more? Yes. 
Behold a screenshot on whobackwhen.com. This is taken from 25 minutes and 40 seconds in. It is the creepiest portrait hanging on the wall. Between Craig and Soph when they yes. are talking in the hallway. And there's a bit where where Craig, like, with his thumb, points in the direction of the doctor. And it looks as though he's pointing at the portrait. And it just makes it even creepier. That po- what What is that portrait doing there? I mean, c- c- have you Googled this? Because I, I spotted that as well. Because how could you not? Yeah. Because... It is horrid. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, I don't know. You know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe one of the producers has a nephew who is possessed by the devil, and that nephew <laughs> in his spare time drew that portrait. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that that seemed like an errant prop from some horrible. <laughs> bogus journey doctor <laughs> clown in hell episode i don't exactly. know exactly yes yeah, yeah. just <laughs> n- oh no it was it was very disturbing did not like it did not care for it one bit and it had nothing to do with anything absolutely that's all okay here's another thing i didn't really care for actually it's two things but they're linked one is when when we get the kiss the girl scene which i love by the Go way. one and kiss the girl <laughs> <laughs> I really like that scene, <laughs> but I was a little bit, gr- little grossed out by Craig going ah before he kissed Sophie. <laughs> That's number one, uh-huh. and number two. Later on, fast forward, they're now like super duper happy to be a couple. They are now they're finally together, and she's just told him, you know, yeah, we can go to Paris, but first, blow up my badge. And yeah. then the is it, wettest is it the noise mouth he makes? sound. Oh, the wettest mouth sound. Because I was going to say before that, you hear him go, <laughs> So we spoiled our friendship, though. Totally ruined it. And then they start smooching, oh, and then that. these mouth sounds. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Revolting noises coming from them. Oh, I mean, I'm assuming that most of that is fo- Foley work. It's someone just punching a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> the poor battered shell of a watermelon. Oh, but yeah, you're right. When he his reaction to her saying that, when she's like, "Yeah, oh, well, first we're gonna destroy our friendship completely by doing it," and he's just like, "Hooray!" <laughs> <laughs> so pleased <laughs> again good acting yeah oh absolutely yeah i bought it okay i only have one more thing go on then the bit where amy says uh, you can't be upstairs because uh, there is no upstairs flat right? it's a one floor building or whatever it is she says yes and all of a sudden we see craig and the doctor upstairs but from below from the bottom of the staircase and the music and the sound of it, everything that happens in that moment literally gave me goosebumps. Yeah. It was a fantastic scene. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. <laughs> and you could so very easily have ruined that by filming downwards from their point of view or just being parallel or just seeing their reaction, the reaction on their faces. This was so much more powerful. It really was very atmospheric. All that staircase work and the music throughout was very consistent. It was. And it might have been over the top at first, but it... it oh, it, oh, you mean at first in that scene? Or at, at first in at, the episode? At the first time you saw the staircase. Oh, maybe. I see. Um, but you just came to accept it because it was it was very well thought through. Yeah. And and the guy walking behind the door and... Yes. Ah, and, and you never got past that doorway until... The, and, and then Soph, when Soph went up, I, I didn't remember that was going to happen. 
And I thought, this is exactly what needs to happen now. I'm so glad this is happening. <laughs> of course. Very well structured. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. But, but there is one thing. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's we hear haven't it. talked about return off the crack. Oh, oh, I forgot about the crack. Oh, yeah. there's not just one thing. There's the crack and there's the whole, the ring and every, oh, yes, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear yes, it. Exactly. Oh. I mean, isn't that a perfect ending to skip oh. to the very ending? As in, we don't know what Amy is thinking. She, she said to the doctor, when are you going to get me a fella? And I thought to myself, why isn't she all over the doctor? Like, constantly legs grabbing at his neck. Well, I imagine that she has tried it a few more times. Or possibly this is still, you know, it, the first time in, what was it, the 11th hour? Yeah. Yeah, when, when she was just like, yeah, well, I'm going to lie down here and you're going to go down on me. You're going to treat me to whatever, a Gallifreyan rides. And he very clearly just went, No. We're having none of that. Okay, so she remembers that. Or it has happened again, and he will have reacted the same way. Yeah. He will have rejected her for whatever reason. And we don't need a repeat of it. It just no. crossed my mind. But then for her to find the ring, and, and The and music that to there be as it. well. The sound, yes. oh, that we go out on. Oh, so powerful. Ooh. And you see the crack widening, or you zoom in on the crack, and you wonder, is this what is <laughs> driving it? And we we don't know the the correlation or the causation or which way it's all going. It's, exactly, it's great. I I almost get the feeling I don't remember where this is going exactly, but I almost got the feeling in that scene that the crack was like a little bit of the truth is spilling out of the crack in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost it's not necessarily trying to tell her, but in invariably she is finding out about the truth. She is remembering because the crack is open. Yeah, but nothing can escape from the. Crack. But, but we already know that thing. that's we already know that that's bullshit as well. The yeah. dog just stuck his arm in there and pulled out a bit of time. Oh, that's true. It's like nothing escapes from a black hole except except actually it, it ejects all this gas from its poles and there it's you like, go. I mean that doesn't make any sense, but but it happens. <laughs> so that's what we're doing with the crack. There we are, say one thing and then another thing happens, and you know what? That's just what happens. It's fine. We don't have to understand everything. Yeah. Right. The, did you also feel that, were you judging the Doctor a little bit in that moment? Well, he wasn't there. I was definitely judging the Doctor. Oh, oh, what, for not hiding the ring well enough? No, for hiding the fact that she once had a fiancé. Oh. He could tell her. Yes. He could tell her and she would just like, I don't remember him. I don't know that this has ever happened. Well, yeah, so what's the point in telling her? That's true. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't actually know what's... He, he tried to stop her forgetting. And now that she has forgotten, despite his best efforts, he must think, well, there's nothing I can do. And let's, be, let's face it, there should be nothing he can do. <laughs> yes. if, if it were to be con- self-consistent. Yes, that's true. But the fact that he has the ring in the first place, oh, yes, doesn't that already course. negate that as well? No, you're right, you're right. Oh, I love the sound of that. Uh, I, 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 I'm... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I, I feel like... If Is this re- best of that you're curating just Nick saying again and again, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's all it is. <laughs> I actually do have a soundbite of JD saying exactly that. Or no, I, it, I think it's something like, I, I agree with Ponkin. <laughs> I agree with Ponkin. No, 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 no. Well, you'll see. It's not really a... It, it's sort of a... It's not really a best of. It's something to play at the at the end of the 200th. Okay. Yeah. Over like the... Click on these video clips as well. Mm, I look forward to it. As should you, podcast learn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know where this is heading? Well, yes, because there was an enormous preview. Yeah. The episode was quite short, and there was 
all amount of preview. Yeah. Oh, dear. They, they mentioned Dravin in it. I'm looking forward to that. That means nothing to me. Dravin showed up in a William Hartnell serial called Galaxy 4. It's the serial that may or may not take place in Galaxy 4. <laughs> uh, but it, it features Drawin, who are from Galaxy 4. They are the women that... There's a screenshot on whobackwent.com of this as well. William Hartnell probably forgetting his lines and wants to say something about like, oh, but they are women as opposed to they are giant slugs, which are the other alien aliens featuring in that episode. Right. And he does this by gesturing towards a vagina. Like he literally just goes, but they, you have one of these. He says something to that effect and points between a woman's legs. And they kept the take. I see. Yeah. Screenshot on whobackwent.com. <laughs> I love Doctor Who so much. <laughs> I don't know if this qualifies as a countdown or a count up, but we do get a lot of nines and fives and minus ones and twos and exactly. threes. Nah. How do you I, feel about that? Are I you let okay with it that? slide. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I thought that Just was Just making fine. sure. I will counter that with, with the observation that I can't see the point of London either. <laughs> okay. that, was another, that was another up for me. <laughs> Oh, and I meant to say that I would have been annoyed, and we've already said things much like this, but I would have been annoyed by the nearly-nearly of Craig and Sophie. That could so easily have gone wrong and oh, become incredibly annoying, but it didn't. No, it didn't. They walked the tightrope. Oh, they we are, are really... Good actors! We're really stroking this episode. I, I've got two bits of trivia. Trivia for you. Hit me! First off, we never find out in this episode where this spaceship or time machine came from. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's nothing to indicate it. He says something like, oh, well, someone's tried to build a TARDIS, which to me is incredibly exciting. But then it yeah. just disappears. Someone, someone's tried to build a TARDIS on the set of The Weakest Link. Yeah. <laughs> which has been in Doctor Who. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's just a lack of imagination on the uh, the props department. or the. <laughs> but according to IMDb trivia... This, uh, the, I'm going to read this straight off on DB Trivia. The time travel pod was later revealed to be technology used by the Silence. Oh. Uh, an identical pod was used by them in The Day of the Moon. Well, well. So this is a Silence time machine and the Silence chap who maneuvered it probably just died or got lost or something. And uh, yeah, the ship took over. This ties in very well with the preview of next week's episodes. We looked into the crack, and in some places we saw silence. And is that the silence, the actual munch scream aliens that Moffat had? Maybe. In it, did he have that in his head all along, or did he just sort of stumble sideways into it? I don't it? know. We have to answer this question. I don't remember. For podcast land. <laughs> for podcast land, Leon. For, for podcast land. My last note is, okay. just, is just one line, which is the doctor bringing James Corden breakfast is normal (laughs) (laughs) those two words I didn't think you could make a such a great brilliant joke out of two words it's normal and in saying those words it makes it the opposite it's brilliant it's yeah that's wonderful (laughs) I, I did have a second point of trivia say it say it this may be something that I missed actually wait I'll phrase this as a question instead so Craig's old flatmates the guy who owns the the house mark with the rich uncle exactly do we ever find out about mark with the rich uncle not one jot more is is expended on mark in that case i have not forgotten about this that's that's as far as i could recall as well but this is from imdb trivia 
The Doctor retroactively creates the vacancy in Craig's apartments by altering a will so Craig's roommate becomes wealthy and moves out. Oh. Yeah. This is similar to how the Doctor opened up a position at the school in school reunion by giving a teacher a winning lottery ticket and later gave another winning ticket to Donna Noble as a wedding present. That's from IMDb Trivia. I don't know where, that com- where that's from. I figured there's a, there's a chance that I just missed this or I forgot about it. But uh, no, apparently not. But when he gave Donna the winning lottery ticket, that was not a Bill and Tedding of no, the true. linearity of the episode. No, that was straight up just... Fucking with yeah, the timeline and giving just, her a bunch of money. Yeah, meddling with someone else's timeline, not going from back to front on your own. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, however, it is quite similar to the um, school reunion bit, I guess. Mm. Like he, he needs to be somewhere, so he gives someone a bunch of money so that they will <laughs> sort off and he can step in. But we never get to see that in this episode. And I assumed that Mark had been taken by the neighbor upstairs. Yeah, I assumed he was part of the stain. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Anyway, okay, that's it. So, ratings, eh? Let's. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. How about you go first? All right, then. Hang on, wait, 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 wait. Let me think of a number. Think of a number. Okay, I've got a number and I'm sticking with it. Yeah? yeah. Do you promise? I, I absolutely promise. Okay, I don't think this is going to come to it come as a surprise to anyone. I'm going to give this a fairly high score because I absolutely loved this episode. I thought everything worked. Everything worked in this. The the script, the acting, the setting. I, I've never been so fascinated by Essex. The, 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 <laughs> the alien plots, if you want to call it that. This was a feel-good episode. And we've had Dr. Light episodes. This was a Dr. Heavy episode. And... Matt Smith is the perfect Doctor for a Doctor Heavy episode. I can I can watch him be crazy on screen for a long time and not be bored. Lots of bonus points for references to other stuff, La Donna Immobile, etc., etc. The only things that I'm pulling the my rating down for are... Really struggling to think of something here. Pulling it down for maybe the Doctor being a little bit too alien. As in, he seems less accustomed to humans than he normally is. And sometimes this is really fun, like the little kisses on the cheek. Oh, this is how you greet each other nowadays, isn't it? But then sometimes it just goes a little overboard. Mm-hmm. Overall, nice and short, I'm going to give this a... Oh, I'm give this a four. Yep. Point. Yep. Oh. You with me so far? Oh, really? Yep. Okay, good. Yep. I'm giving this a four point one. Okay. All right, yeah, there we go. Right. Well, I also loved this episode. Oh, did you know? Pretty much from beginning to end. <laughs> I liked that we had Amy being snide, mm-hmm. but in a way that complemented the rest of the story. You had people able to get on with it. You had the the domestic and the familiar being able to merge with the fantastic, and Amy wasn't there providing a jarring, sarcastic commentary on it, which takes you out of it. The characters point. were able to interact in, in that much better way, and we were able to see a whole different dynamic. But we also did get some Amy, and she was less annoying by being able to throw Jack Sparrow one-liners in from, you know, the edge of the frame. Yeah. And I liked that. That was a really good way of doing it. I thought all the actors were, were great. I thought that we needed a, a good performance from the Doctor after last week, where... On the whole, he was good, but he did go too far. He went too far here, but it wasn't to the episode's detriment in the same way. Absolutely not. And it's weird because you can pick out maybe two or three places where he definitely went overboard, but here it just doesn't seem to be as annoying. I don't know why. I guess he just 
there was a, a there was more charm to balance it out and that made all the difference and it made it seem trivial in comparison i mean uh i've got to stick with what i was thinking and what i was thinking was 4.6 what i told you i love this episode oh that is i a- love <laughs> wow okay. i loved it back in 2010 and i love it now and i can't think of of many ways to improve i know it's not an epochal era defining episode sure but i just think it's a really fucking good one <laughs> and i don't see why you know one episode one little episode on its own without any broader significance shouldn't be able to hit a score really near a five and for me this episode within that category 4.6 fantastic so oh. next up <laughs> yeah, let's see if podcast line come anywhere near that <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. The first listen of any is from Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Ah, oh, you know what the weak link was, Marie? <laughs> Clearly, Marie. <laughs> She's thrown you off. Michael begins. The doctor irritates his flatmate, and stuff happens upstairs. I mean, that would suffice by itself. But yeah. Michael continues. <laughs> Things I like. He's made a list. One, the eeriness. Having lived in a flat with unexplained mould, sinister old people living upstairs, and a weirdo flatmate, this really resonated. <laughs> the people being lured to a crispy death is horrible. I haven't felt this level of unease since episode one of Seventh Doctor. <laughs> Classic survival. <laughs> Number two, lashings of humour. The Eleventh Doctor is at his zaniest. I particularly liked the electric toothbrush scene. Oh, yes. And the Professor Brainstorm contraption in his bedroom. And I would add to that him holding the screwdriver saying, where's the on switch? I love, I love that bit. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. Also, his contraption in the bedroom really reminded me of the weird contraption Pertwee built in the Time Monster using a bottle and, I want to say, a spatula again or whatever. And it just rotated. And he was like, yeah, we used to do this in school to meddle with the uh, time energy or some nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Do you want to take this list from here? Sure. Number three, the evil TARDIS. Looked similar to the ship in wonderful Fourth, fourth do- Doctor. <laughs> fourth Doctor. Parisian Adventure, City of Death coincidence number four football in doctor who growing up in an era where preferring science fiction instead of football inevitably led to a beating on the playground oh the cross-pollination of doctor who and football is a big deal michael grew up in the north as well they don't mess about oh my goodness oh oh michael continues five james corden and daisy haggard Mm. number six amy finding the ring the final shot nice Michael then starts to equivocate. Things I'm not sure whether I liked or not. Number one, the lack of explanation of who owned the evil TARDIS and what happened to them. See Leon's trivia points. <laughs> Reminds me of the Stephen King novel, The Tommy Knockers. <gasps> I don't think that's about what I think it's about. Where the aliens <laughs> on a crashed spaceship are long dead, but the evil emanating from the ship uh, lives on. And uh, number two, the lack of Amy. Her scenes clearly took 10 minutes to film. Presumably Karen was on holiday. Yep. He adds some beefs. Your review of the Hungry Earth complained about reusing tropes from previous episodes. This does the same. The ship's computer attempting repairs by killing humans echoes the girl in the fireplace. Ah. Ooh, very true. The perception filter was done in the 11th hour. Leave off the perception filters! (laughs) And the Love Conquers All resolution copies the ending of Victory of the Daleks. And 80% of, you know, moth episodes. 
The Doctor's Vulcan mind meld via headbutt also annoyed me. Oh, I liked it. Why doesn't he just do this to everyone he meets? And why wasn't there a longer flashback of the seventh doctor? <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Why didn't they linger on him lovingly? Mm. And he gives this... 2.8 out of 5 fried corpses. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Michael. So next up, we have Tracy Fountain. Hi, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Tracy says... Big reveal! In keeping with my tradition of numerical ratings that only include zeros and fives, I will start by rating this one. Yeah. Five. Point. Oh. There it is! Ka-ching. Nice one, Tracy! Oh, very nice. Oh, oh, you want me to read out how Tracy backs this up? Oh. With an, with, with an impermeable, indomitable argument. Well, here we go. <laughs> Rewatching this, Tracy says, I realised it's the perfect episode. Ooh. The pacing, acting, filming, and effects are all spot on. It's playful in a way that works despite all the death it sees, despite the heavy impending mythology of the crack, and despite the Doctor and Amy remaining apart for pretty much the entire episode. The chemistry between Craig and the Doc is really fun, from the peck on the both cheeks, to the sonic toothbrush moment, to the psychic head bash. I love it all. There's not a line amiss. We get to learn more about who this version of the Doctor is as he lives out his day around humans. He gets to play matchmaker, which... In an aside, he also does brilliantly, <laughs> yeah. helping Craig and Sophie finally share their feeling for one another. He gets to build gizmos, which is a thing I used to love watching Tennant do. And is it just me, or is Matt Smith naked a lot? <laughs> Double callback. Was it Ponkin who, in a previous Who Back When episode, noticed the opera that the Doctor sings in the shower is the same one as he did? One he did as Pertwee in, this, in his first episode. Yes, it was. And yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> So did you call forward from then to this episode? I did. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. <laughs> All right. Best quotes and exchanges. Go for it. Has anyone ever told you that you're a bit weird? They, they never really stop. I can't do it. I can't do it. We should have done that the other way around. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to do? <laughs> no, I won't be able to do it any better. Okay. You do the next one. You pulled the zigzag. I can't. I'm just doing you doing it now. <laughs> Tracy says, in Tracy's voice, you pulled the zigzag plotter, <laughs> take two steps to your right and pull it again. <laughs> Annihilate? No, no violence. Do you understand me? Not while I'm around. No, he doesn't sound like this at all. Not while I'm around. Not today. Not ever. I'm the doctor, the oncoming storm. Oh, and you basically meant beat them in a football match, didn't you? Yes. Six billion people watching you two at work. I'm starting to wonder where they all came from. Yeah, that's a good one. I might come back. No, you won't. I've been in your head. Oh, th that is... Uh, James Corden, spot on, James Corden. Thanks. I mean, uh, ladies and gentlemen, sp James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, I know I'm probably over the word limit here, but I should note the end of the episode's important arc contribution. Amy sees the ring and it reminds her of the crack. Turn off the crack. <laughs> so she still has a connection to forgotten Rory. Wonder when we can expect that to pan out, she said playfully. Winky face. Oh, oh. Thank you very much for that, Mini Tracy. That is awesome. Ladies and gents, you can follow Tracy on Twitter. She is at Yekotnyatnuf. That is Fountain Tracy. Backwards. <laughs> Next up. Star Wars Sill. Hello. And to treat that much more precisely than last week, it's Star Wars S-Y-L. Dun, 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 dun. Star Wars Sill is Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill. Star, Star Wars Sill. <laughs> <laughs> etc. Etc. 
Star Wars Cell begins. Ah, the episode in which we can see a Van Gogh card on the refrigerator. Podcast line of incredibly jing. observant. Are we adding anything at this point? <laughs> a human who doesn't notice when there's eggshells in his omelette. Add to that a viewer who didn't notice the eggshells in the omelette. Yeah, and a boss right. who likes an unofficial interloper, even though he's losing the company customers. I have questions, says Star Wars Cell. Why did the rod just disappear? Was the damage to the house fake? Are all Time Lords just automatically good at ball games they've never played before? If I say a string of really rude things about another person's lack of potential and then smile at the end, will they light up and say, See what Sil did there? <laughs> and bat their eyelashes at me? Or is that only for the Rotmeister? <laughs> <laughs> Also, are all cats spies? Yes. If so, please tell me. Yes. It may have dramatic <laughs> implications to my daily life. I have two of them living upstairs in my house. Hopefully I actually have an upstairs or my listener mini career might end rather abruptly. Don't offer them help, Star Wars Cell. Parts of this episode I enjoyed. Craig... Craig saying Geronimo, the sickbed scene, once the Rottmeister stopped the growling, he was quite tender and sweet. And given the Rottmeister's dread of sitting still, living Craig's life for a day was quite a gift of love, one he barely afforded Vincent. Things I was less keen on. Amy squealing even more than the courtesan Satine in Moulin Rouge. Another spaceship looking for something it's lacking. The annoyingly unrealistic workplace scenes. I'm going to give this one a 2.6 out of 5 lodgers offering you a shit ton of cash in a bag and isn't a counterfeiter or crime boss. <laughs> right, so we are, right. we are having a range. Let's just also add, that was a hilarious mini-review. Yes. That was a fantastic mini-review. Thank you so much, Sil. Uh, ladies and gents, please high-five Sil online. Go to at Star Wars Sil. Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill. <laughs> right, so we've had a listener give it a five. Yep. We've had two listeners pretty much slap bang in the middle. Yep, yep. And here comes David E. Bagum. <laughs> David E. begins. I take a brief gasp of cool, fresh air, Vincent and the Doctor, before being dragged back down into the steaming sewage. <gasps> oh my goodness. Oh, I am super excited right now. <laughs> David goes on So we have James Corden doing his hardest to seem lovable Matt Smith pretending to be all unaware of how humans do things Despite having visited Earth hundreds of times in the past And Karen Gillan doing her annoyingly unconvincing waiting in the TARDIS There's some vague alien threat But it's so underdone and barely anything What utter drudgery Who wants to watch some schlub Schlub. Schlub. He says, schlub. Oh my god. That's the word. That's what you that's schlub. Yeah. That's the I, word that you you said that. I now have to swear to you, David E, that I did not know your oh view it existed, god. frankly, before we wrote the intro. Yeah. But, oh. I mean I mean I mean that's not so weird because he is pretty much the definition of a schlub. Yes. But wow. Uh -huh. Nevertheless. Uh, goosebumps. Wow. Metaphorical goosebumps. <laughs> so you know, I have to give some credence to whatever rating yeah. David E comes up with Let's at the it. end. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to watch some schlub and his boring life in what should be a science fiction show? James Corden is terrible. Every time the camera cuts to his smug face, my flesh crawls. Ugh. Quite literally, the worst guest star the show has ever had. The highs. The doctor's conversation with Sophie about doing something with her life was quite good. That's about it. And then... David begins a stream of the lows. There's something I simply don't like about the doctor playing football. It's wrong. Stop it. Why does T cure James Corden when he touches an alien substance? That is extremely underexplained. 
He talks uh, about tannins. That's it. I know. I know. I still liked it. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, David. <laughs> you know why we liked it? Because we read that Doctor Who comic strip where he does all the clever with the tea. <gasps> yeah. I yeah. forgot about that. I, I, I had forgotten about that. Maybe it was somewhere stuck in my subconscious. <laughs> David has yet more lows. So it's the power of love that stops the spaceship somehow. How sickeningly sickening. That half house special effect at the end looks technically good, but utterly unconvincing. What a stupid idea. I actually liked that the power of love was what stopped it because, because it, first of all, it resolved two different strands in a way that sort of made sense to both. It wasn't the power of love that, that saved the day. It was, it was uh, James Corden's reluctance to leave that saved the day. Yes, which was entirely rooted in the power of his love yes. for the other one. Yeah, but couldn't you say that about lots of different plots in that case? Anyone who's in love with anyone else and wants to do something good for the benefit of that person is then is that then the power of love's conquering? Well, I, I get that it wasn't the inherent power of the love. It was the fact that they didn't want to move. It was It was a slight deflection. Yeah. So that's why yeah. maybe we're saying it's not quite the power of the love. I mean, it, it was, but... It tied it in. Yeah. It tied it in better than it usually does than, you know, a pirate king and his boy and all that bollocks. David's final beef. The scene where James Corden is kissing the girl. Ugh, why is he making that weird humming sound? Which again, we covered. Yeah. (laughs) Again, you have to give credence to this score that David E is going to drop on you right now. I've just seen it. I've just seen it. Drew, what is it? Naught point naught. Wow. We'll never, ever watch this one again uh, david i suggest that you go and immediately watch the edge of discretion <laughs> <laughs> or evolution of the daleks <laughs> or evolution of the daleks although, although they had a real alien in that one. Oh yeah whereas fine. didn't have one here no that's true now you got to respect this score i mean absolutely i mean I, you said that james corden is marmite and uh, exactly we right. loved him in this episode a lot of people hated him yeah david Thank you very much for sending in a spiffing mini-review and for (laughs) representing your side of the Lodger ratings spectrum. Yeah, and Uh, enriching the conversation about this episode that we're all having. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So there's one final interlocutor in this conversation. Mm. Oh, I would say interlocutor. Oh, I have no idea. I mean, it's one of those words that's written down, isn't it? Anyway, (laughs) we're talking about Trenton Bless. Hello, Trenton. That's Bless with two S's. It is. Trenton begins. The Lodger, or the Doctor hangs out with James Corden for an hour, is really boring and just really silly. (gasps) Let's discuss. Interesting. Trending goes on. Now, I do like the scenes where the Doctor just invades James Corden's life. I know his character has a name, but Corden is really how I see him. It's really what the 11th Doctor would do in these situations. What I don't like is the sitcom-like comedy. This is Doctor Who, for God's sake. I mean, this is a problem that the Matt Smith era has, and that is the comedic elements. When they hit home, it's fine, but when it's bad, it's cringeworthy. Trenton continues, the villains are a wee bit forgettable, don't you think? I mean, I can't seem to remember anything about them except they used a perception filter to hide themselves. Other than that, that's it. This was one of the last episodes filmed and writer Gareth Roberts was evidently handed the dribble end of the budget. Of course, Doctor Who can be made effectively for diddly squat. They did it frequently in days of yore. Just look at midnight. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Uh, With the lodger, sadly, minimal expenditure yields patchy returns. In the end, the lodger just doesn't do it for me. I suppose it's down to the budget as this was the last story to be filmed. But if you want to watch a sitcom, go watch a sitcom. If not... 
give us Doctor Who. Though it has its moments, I'm still giving it 2.0 out of 5. 2.0. 2.0 is still a strong rating, I think. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's we, not a I super gave it a 4.6. Tracy gave it a 5.0. Yeah. It went, two this is, is, the, this two is the, out of five. This is the second two out of lowest score. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly rotten tomato. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Trenton, awesome. Yes, thank you very much. People owe you high fives for this mini. They can dispense said high fives on Twitter. Follow him. He is at Trenton Bless. That is Bless with two S's. And that's it. Yeah, what a spectrum. What a fantastic range of ratings. Thank you so much, members of Podcast Lambs. And, and you know what? We have a pretty great cast of fans because I agree with the one who gave it five. I also can't disagree with the guy who gave it zero, even though I'm 4.6 apart from him. Everybody makes a good case. Yeah, I understand why all of these reviewers came to those conclusions. Well done, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, next up... It is neither a new, nor is it a classic. That's right. Next up, we're going to drop a bonus episode, and it's going to be in video format. It's going to be our 200th! Wow. It's going to be a bonanza. Uh, (laughs) You know what? This is dropping on a Sunday. The Sunday that this episode drops, there will be something on Facebook and on Twitter about what we would like to have uh, what we would like you dear ladies and gents of podcast land to send us for the 200th episode yes because we are if not nothing then very little without you <laughs> yes exactly we need your input <laughs> on a number of you know topics that have been exercising us for some time so that's next in line anyway and after that probably another new review i, be- I bet yeah, I would put I would put money on that. Yeah, uh, it's going to be the Pandorica opens. <gasps> What's the one after that called? Because it's a double feature, the right? The Big Bang. The Big Bang yes. is a double feature, and that's the end of the series. I feel like that needs to be a double feature. Those are the the, the ensuing two reviews. In the meantime, people can follow you on Twitter, right? They can. At Drew back when marvelous branding. Uh, you can follow me as well. I am at Bonkin. If you don't know how to spell that, all right then, it's my loss. Uh, <laughs> I would like to say as well, please go to whobackwhen.com where the article archives, aka the blog, just keeps on growing. Just in this past week, we have added uh, the first two installments in Kyle Rath's legendary Whovian, Kyle Rath's uh, regular column called For Your Consideration, as well as the first two installments in another legendary Whovian's, guess who? Peter Zunich, that's who. Uh, he is reviewing the crossover adventures. They are fan audio productions, uh, and uh, there's one review up there already. It is awesome. So yeah. thank you very much. Uh, go if, to whovacon.com. Read them. And if you want to join the ranks of these legendary Whovians and start submitting articles to the website, there's still time. Yeah, you Leon's can. still open to it. Absolutely. Go to whovacon.com. There's an FAQ for people who are potentially interested in joining this. I'm sure you can find it. You know how the internet works. And if you are interested, just... Uh, Get in touch with us. Who back when at gmail.com. Cool, cool, and, and cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Until the next time, thank you so much for listening. You have been a wonderful audience. Rock on and cha chao. Bye bye. <laughs> Kablam.
Alamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey, Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?